Good afternoon, everybody. It's time for tips, topics, issues, and positions. And welcome back. I'm Bob Oxley, and it's my pleasure to be your host. And today our topic is going to be on movies. And uh, I have had the pleasure of talking this this young man to come into our studio here today to talk about movies analysis. And it's Professor uh, Timothy Bywater uh, from Dixie State University. Tim, welcome. Great to be here, Bob. Great I'm glad you're here. here. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're, today we're going to look at uh, uh, movies as far as topic, the topic. But really what we want to know is uh, movie analytical considerations. And uh, I know that you've taught uh, a few hundred in the last uh, 30-some years at Dixie State University as a professor on movies and analysis. And I'd really like to uh, pick your brain. And I know our listeners would really enjoy it. Uh, we've got something coming uh, around the uh, down the road here uh, called Doc Utah that we're going to mention that later on. But right. uh, we what we normally do here on the tips program is we start off with the basics and then evolve into more sophisticated uh, discussions on the issue. And the issue is uh, movie analytical considerations, uh, whether or not we're being manipulated or not. We'll take a, we'll talk about that down the road. But uh, let me ask you, first of all, um, uh, why and how would an English professor ever end up teaching the movies? Well, um, movies cover everything, all fields, uh, and part of it is literary, there's no doubt, and humanism as well. But I started at the University of Utah working on my Ph.D., and I was teaching basic English, and my boss said, we're going to try to get movies going. This is 1972. I hate to tell you that. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> but 1972 said, would you like to teach a comp class with movies as the subject matter? And I said, yeah, that would be great. And that got my interest started. And that boss was Tom Sobchak. And he taught movies at the U in the English department, and that was the first time it ever happened. And it was happening all over the country. Movies were beginning to finally get into academe. And Tom taught movies till he retired at the U. He's still teaching them, and he and I wrote a book together on film criticism, and we're writing another one right now, oh, an, intro, an intro to film book. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's so we great. got the right man here, don't we? Well, <laughs> for basic you, stuff. You, you could, you, I could, probably going to give me some of those quotes out of that new book coming together. Okay. <laughs> well, this is, this is great. Um, let me ask you a question then. If you're, you're still teaching the classes, how do you structure that movie class? I mean, is there something unique about that? that I know the students, I would think the students would be interested, but what's, how do you structure your class? It's a little tricky because... Because everybody has their own idea of what makes good movies. So I do it chronologically. I start with silent movies. Always use D.W. Griffith to start. He was the real creator of movies as we know them now. And I, so I start with Griffith and uh, then go all the way to the 21st century. I end with a 20, uh, starting in 2000, have a movie. That's my last movie that I show. Wow, that's that's so they get the whole gamut. I mean, they do, and, and you emphasize the silent movies. You emphasize what to look for and why they were so successful, and the music that went with it. Does that does that do you integrate that also? The music being, have a, I do, I I do. Um, it's sometimes hard to get the exact same music that was used. Griffith wrote his own scores. Griffith did everything, and 
it's kind of amazing to think about it. Let's say a premiere of a Griffith movie, Intolerance, let's say. It would be at, uh, uh, you know, a huge theater, a hundred-piece orchestra, and people in tuxedos coming in to see this wow. movie. Wow, And the, so the score was very important. Now, this went all the way from that to a piano or an organ in a little teeny movie house, but still, music was always important and still is. Fantastic. Um, the movies that you teach, the silent movies, is there anything that, uh, what's your five, give me an idea here. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. testing your you're, uh, let's let's start off. Let's take a look at from a classical movies. What's your five? What would you pick as the five best movies? Well, the, the five that you're it's your favorite. It's hard. It's hard for me to pick just movies, but five directors. You, and I'm not going to include Griffith here. And it's a long story, and it takes a lot of time to tell you why. I always teach a Griffith, but he. He made a movie called uh, Birth of a Nation, and it was, it was actually a racist movie, and I can't teach it in my classes, so I never do, but you almost have to teach Griffith. But I love Buster Keaton. I love his movies, and I'd say to the audience, uh, the directors I mentioned, most of their movies you're going to be able to find on Amazon, either to rent for like three bucks, or you can buy one for maybe 12, 13 bucks, and it's great to have them. So I'd say... Keaton would be one. There's one, a guy named Howard Hawks who made movies in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, started in silent movies, and ended up making a lot of movies with John Wayne and Humphrey Bogart, the classical stars. Um, Jean Renoir, who's a French director who came to America, but he made amazing movies. Um, Alfred Hitchcock. You can't know movies without knowing Hitchcock. That's mm -hmm. just all there is to it. And uh, even a movie like Psycho, which seems like just a, you know, a pot-boiling horror movie that makes women to this day not want to take a shower. <laughs> uh, the is famous really, knife scene, right? The, the, yeah. famous, the, fam <laughs> the famous knife scene. Uh, and uh, I, I think the last one that I say with kind of a deep breath is Orson Welles. Oh. And Orson Welles is really hard to get close to. But there are three movies of his. One's called Citizen Kane. One's called Chimes at Midnight, which was the story of Falstaff. That he put all the parts of Shakespeare's uh, character together into one movie that's spectacular. And one called Touch of Evil that I'm... Uh, working on right now and they were just they're just works they're masterpieces of, of wow. filmmaking so when when you're going through in your class when you're showing them these movies do you help the student understand different aspects point out things for them to look at I'd probably drive the kids nuts in the, <laughs> i doubt that well let me tell you why um when i when I think about a movie, I want to go in there, and I really don't want anybody talking in back of me. I don't want to hear popcorn. I want to see the movie. And I know that isn't as common right now because with all the movies on Netflix and Hulu and all the places, I don't think anybody goes to movies the way they did. And there's amazing stuff there on, that you can see on television. But in my class, I probably stop a movie. We get into it like 10 minutes and clunk. I stop it and we talk and we look at the, we look at a lot of things. We look at the kind of shot it is. We look at the lighting. We look at the setting. 
the production values in the shot. So, and that's the way movies were always made. You know, they're made in little teeny increments. And so we almost have to do that to understand them. And I think that's why it's a great idea to own your own movies so that you can stop them and run them back and go over them again, and then you can learn more about them. That's so amazing. that's what we do. That's great. And I bet you have a lot of aha moments You're uh, amongst your students, I mean. Le- well, you know, let me tell you. Oh, just one example. Please can I do. give you one example? Yes. Now, this was my aha moment that then I gave to the students, and this was about Psycho, and it, it, it Hitchcock never leaves anything to chance including the hairdos, the costumes. He was on top of the whole thing. And at the opening of Psycho, it says it's in Phoenix. It's in Phoenix, Arizona. That's where it starts. And there's a little, uh, on the screen, comes up the word Phoenix, Arizona. And the movie is about a taxidermist who brings birds back to life through taxidermy. And that's the Phoenix, the Phoenix bird who comes rises in its own ashes and comes to life again so when i started to think about that it made me think well there's one of the themes of the movie that hitchcock's sliding into it and the opening shots of psycho they're with a a uh, camera that swoops down almost like a bird and the camera lights on the ledge of a window and then looks through the window so it's kind of like a voyeur looking in wow. the window that's Hitchcock. The last shot in Psycho, I know I'm taking too no, long No, 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 please but, do. But, this is uh, interesting. Uh, the last shot in Psycho, they've caught the killer. He's uh, He has now two voices in his head. His mother's, his dead mother's voice is in his head. It cuts, and then the last shot is a car that contained the body of the heroine being dragged out of a swamp with a chain it's being dragged out and you see the car coming out of the swamp just like the phoenix bird coming back to life wow and and you might say wait a minute wait a second bywater that can't be all (laughs) (laughs) that can't be all there with hitchcock it's there it really is that's fantastic <laughs> what l- let me uh, as far as your your recent movies that you've seen sure i, I know you're in you love the classics but i'm going to test you again can you okay. give me your five favorite recent movies I, and and why you selected them? i i can and i'm going to be very brief about this because for me i am not good at watching a movie the first time uh i'm i'm not really good at it i i Kathy, when I go with my wife, Kathy knows the plots better than I do. I almost <laughs> have to stop them, see them again, and go back over them. But there, there are five that I thought about recently. One's called Zootopia, and that's a that's an animated movie that I just think is a brilliant movie. And it's about a little bunny who comes into the police force, the first bunny they've ever let into the police force. And she gets a partner who's a fox, and he's a con artist, the fox. And these two kind of form a team, and they find out the the person who's going to destroy Zootopia. And that person turns out to be the assistant mayor who's a little, kind of a little shy sheep. And her name is Dawn Bellwether, and she has been just shunted aside continually in Zootopia. 
when she finally figures out a way to get all the animals to attack everybody in Zootopia. So this little shy sheep, really because of the way she's been treated in Zootopia, decides to take over the world. Wow. Really interesting. <laughs> Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Hmm. And that's mainly, uh, that, uh, Ang Lee was the director of that movie. And I love that. I'd love everybody to see that one. It's about primarily a young girl who can't be happy in the normal routines of life. And she's really powerful and really smart. And it just follows her through a bunch of adventures, amazing adventures. And uh, that's her, her name is uh, uh, Yu Shu Lin. And her, the actress is Michelle Yeoh, who plays it, and it's a great role. And I think you'd really like that okay. one, Bob. All right. The King's Speech, Tom Hooper. I teach The King's Speech, and I love it because it's about a, a teacher. Yes. It's about a teacher. It's about uh, the king who's, who stammers and about his teacher. Yeah, King Lionel, George. King yeah. George. Real life stammers. story. Exactly. King George who stammers and Lionel Logue, his uh, teacher, makes it so he can get through speeches during World War uh, II to help save England uh, save Great Britain during the war, and I cry every time I see it. I, it's just an amazing story about a teacher. Uh, Dunkirk is Christo wow. Christopher Nolan, and Christopher Nolan, I, I like him as a director. He writes his own screenplays. That's one reason I like it. Um, Dunkirk is a big movie. There's a ton of stuff going on, but the way Nolan makes it, he doesn't use special effects. He doesn't use CGI stuff, computer-generated effects. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what I love about him. He still tries to make old-fashioned movies. Um, and that's Christopher Nolan. And he's made Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, yeah. and um, Inception, which is another really interesting movie. And then The Darkest Hour. And I can just say that's about World War II when Churchill's going to become the prime minister and trying to get people on his side as he's prime minister. And it just goes through one month, month of May. And he, um, as it turns out, it's, it's played by Gary Oldman. And all I can say is I think Gary Oldman is one of the great actors who's yeah, I do too. in movies. Do you? Yeah, I really oh, do. Oh man. Uh, Tinker Taylor soldier spy. And he did one called the professional where he played a cop, a mean cop. It's one of the most amazing villains I've ever seen in the movies. But uh, The Darkest Tower, he won the Academy Award for Best yeah. Actor. That doesn't mean a lot a lot of times, but I think it did that. Fantastic. Um, so let me ask you a question then as far as uh, when you're focusing on movies. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, does it <clears> – are you biased because of certain directors? Let me tell you about Orson Welles. Um, I think I was biased. The first time I knew I had to, to teach Citizen Kane, I lasted 10 minutes and walked out. Oh, wow. I did. I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And, and so I think that the way I kind of look at it is that you've kind of got to, with the great directors, get beyond the surface no matter what. 
So I, I'm not just for every movie they make. I, I'm not in favor of just automatically seeing a such and such movie. But if a, if you if you work at it long enough, and I think you have to do, and that's why I tell my students with C Citizen Kane, I brace yourself. You're going. This is going to take some time to figure it out. But again, uh, it boils down to a real simple theme: the idea that our world kind of objects and buying things take over our world and we disappear and our objects take over for us. That's all Citizen Kane's really about. And when I finally figured it out, then it became incredible. But I don't think I'm biased particularly, uh, although I do think Hitchcock's made some lousy movies for sure. Okay. Now, that's the director's side. What about screenwriters? There's, there's some... There's some emphasis on screenwriters that you prefer. Let, let's, let me just talk about one that I'm working on now. Okay, great. And this, is, this happens to be Hitchcock's Shadow of a Doubt, 1943. And Hitchcock, long story, but they brought him to America. David O. Selznick brought him over from England to America to make movies here. Um, he uh, made a movie for Selznick called Rebecca which won the Academy Award for Best Picture. It's the only Academy Award Hitchcock ever won, but Selznick got the award, not Hitchcock. It was Selznick, the producer, okay. who got the award. He hated Selznick. They lent him out, and this is what happened in the movies in those days. They lent him out to Universal, and he made Shadow of a Doubt. So he knew the, the story. He, he adapts most of his story, uh, pl uh, movies from books, novels, whatever, and usually pretty bad ones. So, but he wanted somebody to, to uh, for his screenwriter, so he got Thornton Wilder. And Thornton Wilder was the um, theater, the dramatist who wrote Our Town, a famous mm -hmm. play yes. about American life, maybe one of the most famous ones. And Wilder needed to make some money, so he went to work for Hitchcock. It turned out he had a great experience. And the three writers on the movie were Wilder, another woman, and then Hitchcock's wife, Alma Ravel. And he used Alma for everything he did. In fact, I think Hitchcock was a... I think they collaborated. I think wow. they collaborated much more than... That's ever, interesting. Yeah, than you ever think they did. But Alma was, got credit for the screenplay. And so here's Thornton Wilder, this famous dramatist, you know, he has uh, he won he he's won the Pulitzer Prize and all kinds of different things, and Hitchcock said about it when Wilder got through with the screenplay said to his wife Wilder said, I think this is a great screenplay he'd never written one and he said it was really fun to work with Hitchcock and Hitchcock loved it <laughs> he loved the fact that he was almost being accepted by the highbrows and Hitchcock always was sad that he didn't get what he thought he deserved as being a real artist. Oh, that's... And it took a long time for it to happen. But anyway, that's just one example of a screenplay. Of course, Wells always wrote not his own screenplays, but part of them. He was always working with other people. And usually directors have maybe not complete control, but they know every line that comes out of the character's mouth. No. It's the director, really. That determines what happens in a and, movie. And like you say, well, there was just it was a screenwriter, but uh, if, you, if I ask the question, so you're responding. So, but you say directors really are the ones that they really okay, are. They're, they're really the one. Um, I, 
You ready for a loaded question? Sure, sure. It's about that time. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let me let me ask you a question here. You're you're talking movies, okay? And today's to today's students, uh, how do you how do you handle sex and violence in movies? I mean, that's a lot of movies out there with a lot of sex, a lot of violence. The vocabulary is all over the board. Yeah. Uh, how do you handle that in your classroom? Well, it's a great challenge let's I just can put imagine it, let's put it that way and it's a challenge when we're you're talking about bias bias towards certain directors i am kind of biased toward language and sex and movies myself i have trouble with it i lose concentration when the stuff comes on the screen it's not that i'm a prude or anything like that yeah but the f word really bothers me to hear it in in dialogue but then again in the king's speech the, given, the movie was given an R rating because Lionel Logue used the F word over and over again so Bertie, so the king, would learn to be more comfortable speaking. So he had to say that word like 50 times in a row. And the movie got a, an R rating because of that. So it's really a hard thing to do. So what I say, just... Because kids have all different views, too. Yes, I, There's they some do. kids that can't see an R-rated movie. They, they don't want to see an R-rated movie. So I show very few. Don't show many R-rated movies. Once in a while, I'll show one, but I'll have something on my syllabus that says there are no substitute movies because I think these movies are important. So if whatever happens here, for example, Silence of the Lambs. I teach right. Silence of the Lambs, okay. and it's a tough one. Yeah. But it also won the five Academy Awards. There have been few movies that have won them all. So it's pretty hard to avoid that movie. It's really an important movie. But I, and I also could kind of occasionally say to students, I've never had much trouble with this at all. Okay. But still, I try to stay away yeah. from really the tough stuff. Uh, Quentin Tarantino. I don't show movies by some of the really important directors now, partly because I don't like their stuff and partly because of that reason. So with our rating system, the R rating, um, no. you, you just are careful with it, but uh, you don't exclude it because of the quality of the work. That's right. That's right. And that was said better than I probably said it. And that's exactly what I try to do. And I also think the rating system is ridiculous. There are some PG-13 movies that have horrible violence and grim stuff that I don't see how they could have been I agree. rated that way. I agree. So it's tricky. Yeah. Uh, and how does that work? Do you, you know, as far as how do they rate these things? PG-13, R, X, G? It's a complicated process, and there's been a documentary on it. And I saw the documentary, I think it was on HBO a long time ago. I saw the documentary about how they figure out the rating system. Now, the original, the production code, which really came into effect because of the Catholic Church that was afraid of the movies in the 30s, in the early 30s, the gangster movies with all the violence and all the sex in okay. those movies, the Catholic Church came in and got a, and took hold of the production code and there couldn't be, they couldn't show a husband and wife in a double bed. I remember that. Uh, it yeah. was, there were, there was just across the board, there was no sex and violence allowed in the movies. A character that would have been a gangster in like James Cagney in an early 30s movies becomes a tea man, a treasury man against the gangsters in the mid 30s movies. That's why, that's <laughs> what I have it. So this is, so it's always just this huge gray area. 
But what it seemed to me, and boy, if anybody calls in and says, you know, I'm way off base on this, please do call in and tell us. But it seems to me from this documentary that when it comes right down to it, they finally look at these movies. It's almost like they flip a coin where wow. they're going to, yeah. That's what wow. it seemed to me as I remember, that they really don't have a, a system in place that they can, and how could you with, a, with works of art? I mean, you know, you'd be, you'd be not allowing Shakespeare's plays because Paul says, says zoons, which meant God's wounds, and you couldn't say it, and, and you know, and mixed company. Well, so do you think, let me just real quick off the top of your head, do you, sure. you think that the rating system's more lenient today than it was, well, well we know it was, in the... I mean, did that start to? Do we start to see a change in the '60s, '70s we, time frame? Or we actually saw it in the '50s. There was a case that went to the Supreme Court, court that called the Miracle Case, that said that film was an art form and needed to be protected. Freedom of speech okay. it needed to be protected. That was in '53. That was in the '50s. That was in the '50s, and you'll and you see the changes by the six. Well, by the '70s, that's when. Almost, it's Katie bar the door. Anything goes, as we know it is. As a result of it, the activities in the 1960s. That's exactly gotcha. right. Gotcha. And it, right. It, you betcha. That's right on. As well, the Cultural Revolution in the 60s, caused by the war, gender and race, you know, the 64 uh, uh, Johnson's uh, uh, Civil Rights Act. Civil Rights Act. Thank yeah. you. In '64, these things all happened in the '60s. It was a huge uh, right. dichotomy right there. Okay, I got one more question oh, for uh, you. Are we, all right, are we through. Yeah, we're getting oh, close. We're, we've got to stay an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to the sponsors. <laughs> um, here we go. Yeah. Um, just, I just, we've got Doc Utah getting ready to launch. We do. Uh, very shortly here uh, at Dixie State University, and using some of the facilities here. Um, what's your opinion of Doc Utah? You, you've been around since it began. I, I was actually one of the reviewers remotely way back when it started and it was, it's been amazing to watch this thing move. Uh, give me your assessment of Doc Utah. Same as yours. I think it's an amazing, it's amazing to watch it move. Phil Tuckett has done an unbelievable job. Uh, Jeff Jarvis, the Dean of the Arts, the volunteers, just like you were a volunteer and I was a volunteer. Everybody's doing amazing. This is what I'd say to the audience. Uh, just Google uh, Dixie.Utah, Doc Utah, and you'll find the site, and you can get tickets. It's a cinch. It's a really user-friendly website. And I just think you can get different you can go to one single movie or a group of movies, and I just think everybody, all our listeners, would love to see Doc Utah. And there are three about movies. One about Billy Wilder, one of the great directors, called Never Boring. One on a early animator, a woman from Germany named Lottie Ringer, and the movie's called The Silhouette Girl. She did uh, cartoons with silhouettes, and she was amazing. And then Bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. And wow. That, and those are all... So there, those are just three about movies that I think everybody would like. That's fantastic. Well, unfortunately, we're... Uh, I'm getting the key here. The sign's coming at me through the window. Like, I'm going to wrap this up. Well, thanks, Bob. Uh, listen, Professor Bywater, it's been a pleasure. 
It's you're right on. This has been so interesting. I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of this as I far as the movies and analyzing movies and things to consider. Uh, I wonder if the sales will go up some of the old movies as a result of your promotion here today. I don't know. I hope so. Well, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes another episode of Tips, Topics, Issues, and Positions. Uh, you can hear this on KDXI 100.3 FM at 3 o'clock on Fridays and rebroadcast at 4.30 on Saturdays. Of course, you can look at our beautiful faces here on Facebook, YouTube, as well as our affiliate, Podbean, which is our podcast affiliate. Uh, you can take a look at us at any time at your convenience. So once again, I hope you have a great day and looking forward to seeing you next week and hearing from us on a new topic, issue, and position. Bye now.